It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. Today's episode of Locked On Orioles is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Today's episode also brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. On today's episode, we continue our MLB draft preview, looking at the five guys we think the Orioles could take with the number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft, which will commence next Wednesday and Thursday, June 10th and 11th. Round one will be on the 10th. Rounds two through five will be on the 11th. Remember, just a five-round draft this year. And so far this week, we've looked at a couple of the more outside chances for the Orioles to get. Um, On Monday, we looked at Emerson Hancock, the right-handed pitcher out of Georgia, who was the mocked number one pick at one point, is down around number six now. And then yesterday, we looked at Nick Gonzalez, the infielder out of New Mexico State with the gaudy hitting numbers, him being mocked at number four, but the Orioles could potentially go under slot value and pick him. But today, we will look at the guy who, in most mock drafts, is being sent to the Orioles at number two, and that is the Vanderbilt infielder, Austin Martin. Great bat, great defender. Um, He's listed as an infielder, but he can play the outfield as well. Plays all around the diamond. Uh, Junior out of Vandy, who for a while there was looking like he'd be the number one pick, but now looks like he's slotted at number two and could end up with the Orioles. And our MLB draft coverage guys here on the Locked On Podcast Network, Taylor Blake Ward and Jeff Snyder, talked about in their combined mock draft here on the network why they both agreed that the Orioles would take Austin Martin at number two overall. And this is where you and I disagree. I I think that the Orioles obviously could go under slot, especially with those picks at 30 and 39. But you look at a player of Austin Martin's caliber. This is a very special player who is reminiscent of of an Alex Bregman type of player. A great bat. Probably the best pure hitter in the draft. I I don't think there's a lot of argument that he is the best pure hitter in this draft. Um, The power is going to come. He has a chance to uh, develop defensively across multiple positions. Pretty uh, fast out of the box. Personally, I think that Austin Martin may be the best player in this draft out of Vanderbilt. Um, I, I love Spencer Torkelson, nothing against him, but I do believe that Austin Martin is a special talent. And I think that the Orioles are, when you're at the top of the draft, you take the best available. Obviously teams will do under slot deals. And Mike Elias is very familiar with this when he was with Houston, when he got, uh, not only Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers, but he also got, uh, when, who did he get with that Daz Cameron year when he got Daz Cameron in the compensation round? That was the early picks were, uh, Kyle Tucker and Alex Bregman. So, That's right, uh, and uh, that worked because, out pretty well. Because, <laughs> as you recall, um, you know, we had the first overall pick was Swanson. I'm trying to remember if Bregman was two or not, but uh, Brendan Rodgers in most places was viewed as the top shortstop that year. 
So Bregman was, uh, they were able to save a little bit there and then save a little bit with Tucker and then roll that over. Which is a great reason why they may go towards a player like Nick Gonzalez of New Mexico State. Very good hitter. Nothing against uh, uh, Nick Gonzalez when I said that Austin Martin is the best pure hitter in this class because I think Nick Gonzalez is right behind him when it comes to that hit tool. But at the same time, you are looking at we. Uh, the reason why they had that number two overall pick, Jeff, was because they didn't sign, uh, I believe it was Brady Aiken in the first overall pick the year before. Is that correct? That is correct. And that's why they had the two first round picks. But absolutely, uh, Austin Martin, very talented player. So as you could hear over on the MLB Draft Preview show, Taylor and Jeff, both agreeing, although if you listen to yesterday's episode, Jeff made the point that potentially the Orioles could try to get Nick Gonzalez, sign him for a little under slot value and save some money for later in the draft. But the two of them mostly agreeing that it'll be Austin Martin at number two. And another guy who agrees that Austin Martin should be that second pick and maybe that first pick um, is the guy we're going to talk to today. It's Max Hers. He is one of the voices of Vanderbilt baseball down in Tennessee, and he comes on the pod to give us the lowdown about Austin Martin, what we can expect from him, how he compares to some of those great Vanderbilt players the last few years, especially another shortstop in Dansby Swanson, who went number one overall a few years back. But a really good conversation with Max. We talk about Austin Martin, how he can play everywhere. Max thinks Austin might end up as a center fielder in the big leagues, and then how good of a hitter he really is. Plus, we talk about a couple other Vandy guys who could go in this five-round draft and a couple high school players who are Vanderbilt commits but are looking like first and second round picks and and may not end up heading to Vandy at all. But a really good conversation with Max Hers, one of the voices of Vanderbilt baseball. Max, thank you so much for joining the show today. Yeah, of course. So obviously we have Max on as we go through really the five names that we think the Orioles could take at number two. But for the last couple of months, the guy that's been mocked to the Orioles in, in pretty much everybody's mock draft is the Vanderbilt infielder, Austin Martin, who for a while there looked like he could go as number one. Now it seems like, at least in mock drafts, it's flipped to have Spencer Torkelson go one and Austin Martin go two to the Orioles. So I think a lot of Orioles fans were – you know, watching a lot of Torkelson this season because of the power and how many home runs he can hit. Um, Martin, not as much of a power hitter as Torkelson is, but but what does he bring to the plate? And what makes him a, a top five pick? Yeah, I agree with you completely on, on how that shifted. And I think Martin probably stood to gain more from the season being played out in full if it would have been played in full just because, as you said, he of the two has the tools that has the highest ceiling, but hasn't emerged yet, and that's his power. And I believe he had three. Yeah, he had three homers in 16 games in the short season, and they were monster homers, but it's a really small sample. As a sophomore last year, he ended up with 10. Four of those came in a two-game stretch, the last game of the Super Regional and the first game of the College World Series. Both of those were two homer games. He had three back homers in both of those games. One of them was Bandy's first swing at Omaha. So he showed the power at times last season, and there was a feeling both with him and the coaches and really with everybody in the program that he was going to make a big power jump, similar to how J.J. Bleday, who won the top five last year, did into his junior season. And 
I mean, he went from single-digit homers to most homers in a season in school history. He ended up with 27, which I don't think anyone was going to expect from Austin Martin, especially with his skill set. But he certainly could have ended up with 15 to 20 if they had been able to play out a full 60 to 70 games, depending how far Vanderbilt could have gone, assuming he had regular at-bats in all those games. But I think the power tool will come. I don't think it's a reason to stay off of him. No matter what happens, he's not going to be projected as a guy you're going to count on to hit 30 home runs a season if and when he gets to the major leagues. But he's somebody who's going to be able to hit home runs and can keep up with the current power pace of the game just because of how consistently he gets the ball on the barrel. That's his top skill is hitting the ball hard, and we saw that at times become a power swing, and I think it'll continue to be a power swing moving forward. You talk about barreling up the ball. Uh, last year, just 31 strikeouts for him uh, with 38 walks. He hit 410, 503 on base. Um, he's been an on-base machine all three years. But but you've been around the Vanderbilt program, and, and this is a guy, Austin Martin, who still we don't know. He could go number one um, this year to the Tigers. So does it feel like, you know, where does he fit in with some of the more recent guys, the Bladets, the Dansby Swansons, um, who've been through this program, been drafted very, very highly. Where does he stack up with those guys? I think out of the hitters, he has the highest feeling, I, I think for sure. And I think he compares well to Dansby in terms of what they did at Vanderbilt, in terms of playing in the middle of the field, in the middle of the lineup, being an emotional leader, being able to take charge at times when necessary, and to be a game-breaker on both sides of the ball. And I think J.J. Bleday, was an offensive game-breaker last year. But I think Martin has a higher ceiling just because, like Danby Swanson was in college, he's a superstar at Vanderbilt. And we never really got to see it this year because, as funny as it is to say, he was never the best player on his team in games that mattered. I mean, they never even got to play a conference game this year. So to, to look at Waday through those eyes, Waday was a better player last year because he was the player who was further along in his progression but I think this season Martin would have had the best years in school, one of the best years in school history. I mean, last year he, he hit over 400 until game number 70. His average wasn't below 400 at any point from his first at bat of the year until the 70th game of the season, which was the second to last game of the College World Series, which is just absolutely insane to think about with the quality of play that they faced, the quality of teams they played down the stretch. I, I think he has the potential to be. Vanderbilt's best offensive pro at any point in school history. And with the way they continue to recruit, they recruit these players that if they choose to go to Vanderbilt over going straight to professional baseball, they have potential to be top five picks and, and produce a top five pick every year. But it's funny to look at Martin in that light because he didn't come in as a superstar. He didn't come in highly touted. He worked his way quick, quickly into this position. Maybe similarly to how J.J. Waday did, shooting up from the Cape Cod League up the draft boards in through his junior year, but Martin did it. I mean, coming from even smaller accolades entering Bandy, which was interesting to watch. Yeah, you talk about just the the pipeline of guys as this team continues to, of course, win national championships um, and and be a be a team you'll see in Omaha pretty much every single year. But but even Orioles fans know of these a little bit older Vanderbilt guys who have come up to the bigs already with the Orioles and guys like Ryan Flaherty and Pedro Alvarez, and then a little more recent um, in Mike Yastrzemski. But, you know, they know about Vanderbilt, the competition they play, the kind of team they have. So watching Martin for three years and 
seeing him in the SEC, seeing him in the NCAA tournament, seeing him win titles. Um, were there any moments where he was maybe facing pitchers who were top five guys or certain moments where you started to think, like, this guy maybe really could be the number one pick? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the home run to start the College World Series last year, which was against Louisville and, and Reed Detmer, Detmer was going in the top ten. So that, that was a big moment for him to kind of set a tone there. And it was just a moment of on-field leadership, really. And the conversation this offseason was, he's become the leader of the team. And that wasn't necessarily his full role up until this is junior season. He had had some academic issues. He was suspended for three games for missing class at the end of the non-conference season in 2019. And he actually went to those games. He sat with Coach Tim Corbin's wife in the crowd, which is right behind home plate, which is right where all the scouts sit. And the scouts were looking at him like, why the heck are you sitting in the crowd? We want to pick you in the top five next year. You should be playing. And he looked them all in the eye, and he told them that he was suspended for an academic violation and that it wouldn't happen again. And then from there, Tim Corbin has said his academic reputation got significantly better. There were no more issues. They've had conversations even in his freshman year about him not sticking at Bandy just because of the academic problems. And then it all went away. He was able to fix it, and then this offseason he becomes a leader. He becomes the next in line in terms of leading the program. So I think he's, he's done exactly what you said. He stepped up to become the next person. And they're, as a program, I think it's fair to argue, they're in their peak right now. I mean, you talk about all those great players. I mean, Flaherty and Pedro Alvarez were mid-2000s. Jazz was early 2010s. And then this group, really starting in 2015, which was a great team, all the way through the next four to five years at least, is, in my eyes, going to be the peak of the program, and Martin's right in the middle of it. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand that is in the warehouse or that that store happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home, and in your pocket. RockAuto.com, a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com right now if you're like me you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch and that's why i love using postmates they deliver food from every restaurant i can think of right to my door but but postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi they actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and whatever i can think of delivery too convenience stores clothing stores you name it Anything that's uh, that's still open right now. So no more trips to the store. No more late night fast food runs. Don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. 
That's code locked on for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Yeah, it's been incredible to watch what Tim Corbin has been able to do there. But on Martin, you know, we're talking offense, and he's, you know, you could argue one of, if not the best college hitter this year. Um, and this is kind of a heavy draft at the very top. But defensively, you know, he, he's still got to have that part of his game to be a top five guy. So does he stick it short? Is that his position? Or I know he's, you know, can move around a bit. And, and how versatile do you think he can be at the next level defensively? Yeah, it, it's funny because I thought he was going to be labeled as a shortstop going into this year, at least on the draft boards. And he has played two games at shortstop in three seasons of college ball, which is pretty funny to think about because that was his position in high school. Of course, that was a lot of college baseball players' positions in high school. But he only played two games there. He never got a shot there just because of the steady hands that Mansfield had there over the past three seasons. So last year he was the starting third baseman on the national championship team. He started the year at second base, and after he had that suspension that I mentioned, he switched over to third and played every meaningful inning the rest of the year there. This year we saw him start at third, then play in center. And his freshman year, he played every position at some point except for catcher. So he played a lot of third that year. He ended up being the starting center fielder in the postseason. He played left, he played right. He filled in pretty well at first base. They had some trouble over at first base the last few years, so they ended up putting some middle infielders over there, and it usually worked out pretty well. And Martin looked like a natural, and we saw him play a lot of second base, too. He played well everywhere, and I I think the thing that's important in terms of where he's going to play is whoever drafts him is presumably going to pick a spot and start with it. And I would imagine that that is center field, at least to give it a try, just because he hasn't been seen so much there. And I think that is the position where he can potentially give teams the most value because his range is so good, his first step is so good, even though he hasn't played a ton of outfield. His arm is certainly good enough to, to play in center. I don't think it's the right fielder's arm, but I think he has a good arm in center field. We saw him get a couple of outfield assists in the early going this year from center, going towards third or towards home. So I think he, he plays there well. I think he might almost have more range than is needed for second base. But, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see if he ever gets the shot at shortstop. And it'll, it'll be funny to think about looking back if he never does get the shot at short. And that's a position that kind of everybody at every level thought he was going to play. But I, I think he could fit almost anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up center field uh, because if the Orioles do draft him, that's the position where they're kind of – they're pretty young right now and feel good for years to come, where they have wide-open gaps – in the system and at the majors is on the left side of the infield. So it feels like if they're taking him, they're slotting him there, but it's interesting. You say center field, because you think about an Orioles guy, Adam Jones came up as a shortstop. Mm-hmm. The, when the Orioles got him, they knew he could play the outfield. There was more of a need there and he turned into a gold glove center fielder. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see where the need is um, for him defensively. But as you said, he playing everywhere that, uh, that helps you even more as, as rosters evolve but uh but past martin you know for vanderbilt this year looking at this draft obviously with the five rounds you cut down a lot of guys who would be picked but it's not you know their their heftiest draft class of all time but i know another guy who 
could definitely potentially be picked in those five rounds um, is the left-handed pitcher, Hugh Fisher, who's coming off of Tommy John surgery and seems to be recovering pretty well. So, you know, obviously he could, he could come back if he gets drafted after uh, only a couple years on the mound, but what's, uh, what's, what's the story behind him and, and, you know, what does it look like he'll do if, if he does get drafted? Yeah, Fisher, Fisher came into the Andy as a kind of taller, skinnier, really hard-throwing left-handed reliever. And he ended up with some elbow pain at the end of his sophomore year last year and ended up going to summer ball and trying to pitch through it. And it ended up needing Tommy John, so he had it right at the end of last summer in August of 2019. And he's working his way back right now. He's back on the mound. He lives in Memphis, so he's finding places to throw there, and he's talking with Andy's pitching coach every day, and he said he feels really good about where he is right now, the changes he's made, and I mean, it's it's almost the same situation as Walker Bueller, just with a smaller kind of proof positive, I guess, in terms of what he could do in big college games, because Bueller was drafted by the Dodgers and fell a little bit, still in the first round, but fell into the 20s, just because teams knew he needed surgery right away, and there's risk associated with that. Well, if, if you have a recovery plan that you like or if you see enough from this person, you almost know what you're going to get if the surgery goes well, and that means his velocity is probably going to go up. So I imagine there is going to be a team that, that sees him as a sure thing, and then whether or not he'll sign, I guess, is another story. I think he would be very open to it, but it would be a standard negotiation since he's able to go back in the draft as a junior again next year. But I, I think overall, Sandy will be probably one of the least effective college teams by the changes to the draft. They'll probably be one, two, or three upperclassmen who will come back, who, who would have been picked and have had a choice on whether or not to sign, who will definitely return. But I think just because of the caliber of player, the fact that these guys are, are most definitely signable if they are drafted within the real draft and can receive the normal signing bonus, I don't think there'll be too many guys who are doing different things than they normally would be. But he's he's definitely a, a very, very intriguing prospect, but he's probably not a pro starter, which I imagine hurts his value in a short draft. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, potentially a guy the Orioles could look at um, in, in, you know, rounds three, four, or five at the end of this thing. But just to think about, yes, Austin Martin, he, he's the best player on this Vanderbilt team in 2020 that obviously only saw 16 games, but to think about the perspective of Vandy, maybe bringing back an entire team besides Martin um, for next year and a team that was already, you know, kind of get back to Omaha, you would think uh, makes them a scary team in 2021. But the other thing that that could make them a scary team um, is this recruiting class they have coming in. And even with the draft going down, um, to the five rounds. I mean, there are two incoming Vanderbilt freshmen who look like they could be first-round picks. Um, and Ra- Robert Hassel, the center fielder, um, who's looking like a top-10 guy right now. And then Pete Crow Armstrong, another outfielder who looks like he'd go on the back end of the first round. Even uh, those two those two high school guys who are, are coming to Vanderbilt, um, you know, is this something the program's kind of gotten used to that you know what, some of our, our highest recruits we, we might not ever get to see in a Vandy uniform? Yeah, and the the competition for recruiting is the pro teams at this point. There'll be players that they'll lose to other NCC or ACC schools, but they really are recruiting against the draft, and that recruiting continues even after players are picked. But the reason I think the program is peaking right now 
is because the decisions that Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter have to make to pick Vanderbilt and tell pro teams, I'm not going to sign when I would have been a top 10 or top 15 pick right out of high school and turn down the money associated with that to play two or three years of college and then go back in. That's why they're peaking right now because they're beginning to convince one or two big players a year that college is their best option. And I think the changes in Major League Baseball right now probably make that an easier sell. I would imagine. I mean, it almost seems obvious that why would I want to go into minor league baseball right now if I could go play at a top college program and then be assured that I could go back in on a similar level in two or three years. So I think the sale has gotten a little bit easier for them, not only because of how good the program is, but because of some outside changes, which do help them. And both those outfielders, and they're both really, really good. They are really, really good prospects. And if Vandy can get one of them, that is a massive win. I expect both to sign right now. There was a good article about Hassel recently in The Athletic, and he's from right outside of Nashville. He says he doesn't know what he's going to do. He hasn't taken his name out, but he doesn't know what he's going to do, and he could certainly come to Vanderbilt. And Pete Crow Armstrong, who's from California, is probably the more interesting one of the two in terms of what he's going to do. Because as recently as two years ago, maybe even less, he was going to be in the top five this year. And now, because I mean, it's obvious it's a very college-heavy draft, at least in the top ten, the majority of those college players have been either late bloomers or guys who weren't necessarily big prospects going into college with Austin Martin and Spencer Torkelson certainly weren't. So at one point, Crow Armstrong was maybe a top five pick. He's fallen a little bit, so he may see Vanderbilt as a chance to be able to raise his stock. Yeah, and it's it's so crazy to see them continue to have these guys come in. Just, just you know, you lose Martin, you had potentially one or, or maybe even two if if things really broke their way. Um, really good outfielders coming in next year. But but last thing for you, Max, before I let you go, back back to Austin Martin, who we we started talking about, and obviously it's because he's being mocked to the Orioles um, in next week's draft. You know, there's there's a lot of talk that it could be Martin, but I think the the other side of it for for some Orioles people is they they want a guy who can play the left side of the infield and has a big bat, and that's Austin Martin. The one thought is. Do they maybe go with Nick Gonzalez, try to save a little money um, and spend a little more later in the draft? So what's kind of the the quick elevator pitch um, for Austin Martin for the Orioles, even if it costs him a little bit more at that number two spot? Yeah, that's an interesting choice. Um, I don't know. The thing I don't know much about Gonzalez is what he likes defensively. I never got to see him play in person. I wish I could see him play on the tape a little bit last year because I know that really where he made his name for himself and, and solidified himself as a top 10, top 15 pick. But I would say Martin is more of a short thing just because he's faced the high-quality pitching, which is obvious. But he comes out of a, of a foolproof program that produces MLB prospects at the blink of an eye. And I think he's ready to be in at least double-A ball next year, move up pretty quickly, and I, I know that team selecting in the top five probably isn't going to need him in the majors for two or three years there at minimum, but I, I think he's ready to step into the box against really high-level pitching pretty soon, if not immediately. Well, Max, we'll find out officially um, a week from now, but at least most of the signs are pointing to Austin Martin um, putting on that Oriole uniform um, next week for the draft. But we thank you so much for coming on to 
talk about Austin and a few other Vandy guys, and uh, hope you're staying safe. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So, again, our thanks to Max Herz of Vanderbilt Baseball, one of the voices down there, podcast host, calls the games for the baseball team, the women's basketball team. Um, just a lot of Vanderbilt content from Max down there and a really good conversation to talk about Austin Martin and how good he could be as he is the guy right now. We obviously don't know for sure, but in most mock drafts, they have him going number two to the Baltimore Orioles. Then it was interesting to talk about those other Vandy guys, the high school and college guys as well. But that is the top program in college baseball right now. And of course the defending champions and people we only mentioned uh, very briefly Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, a couple of uh, right-handed pitchers who would have been first-round draft picks and were, in Leiter's case, first-round draft picks the last couple of years out of high school but chose to go to Vanderbilt. There is a chance that if Austin Martin does go number one to the Tigers this year, that there could be three straight drafts in which a Vanderbilt player goes number one. Could be Martin this year, could be Kumar Rocker next year, and could be Jack Leiter, of course, the son of Al, the year after that. Um, an exciting time at Vanderbilt as they continue to bring home titles and have some of the best players in the country. We will continue the MLB draft previews next week um, as the last two guys who the or we think the Orioles could take at that number two pick. Uh, we'll have Josh Schaefer on on Monday. He's been calling Arizona State and Cape Cod League Baseball for the last few years and seen a lot of Spencer Torkelson. Remember, Torkelson was the guy that was mocked to the Orioles at number two for a while, but now he's almost the consensus number one pick. But if he does fall, the Orioles would definitely take him at number two. So we'll talk to Josh about Torkelson and a lot of Arizona State guys who could go in this draft. And then the last episode next week, we'll talk about the Texas A&M left-hander Asa Lacey. Uh, A lot of people have him going number three to the Marlins and it pretty much looks like he'll be the top pitcher taken in this year's draft. If the Orioles did want an arm, they could take Lacey at number two. Had a fantastic three years down at A&M. So that will be next week leading up to Wednesday's first round of the draft. And of course, the second through fifth rounds will be on Thursday. That's June 10th and 11th next week. But of course, here on the pod, we, we talked about it yesterday. We want to continue to show our support to the protesters across the country and the Black Lives Matter movement um, protesting against racial injustice and police brutality and, of course, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many, many others. And we wanted to continue here in the Locked On Podcast Network to at least let it be known where you can donate either your time or your money. Um, And we focused on the bail funds yesterday, um, especially those in Baltimore to help out the protesters. Um, But today I wanted to talk about donating to the victims. Um, You can donate to the George Floyd Memorial Fund. Um, There is a GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash F slash George Floyd. Again, that's GoFundMe.com slash F slash George Floyd. Um, And a place where you can go to find really all the different places you can donate is BlackLivesMatter.carrd.co. 
That's blacklivesmatter.carrd.co. And a great website that has put together all the different places you can donate and just a lot of good information there. So make sure to check that out if you would like to help as we all here at the Locked On Podcast Network would like to stand alongside these protesters and take a stand against police brutality and against racial injustice. That's it for the Locked On Orioles podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.